the paladin, paragon of virtue, pillar of morality, lawful stupid, um, uh, defender of the faith, the weak, and the downtrodden. Not fun at all to play. Uh, sounds like we need to talk paladins this week on a Dungeon Master's Dojo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters, as well as experienced and new players alike. We hope to bring you the tools needed to not only be a great GM, but to help you develop as a player. I'm your host, Louis Aponte. Our stars of the show are Scott Labby and Bill Robotile. Let's enter the dojo and see what both Bill and Scott have in store for us today. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Just got done polishing my armor. I just got done riding my war horse here. I guess we're talking about paladins and how fun they are to play. <laughs> yes, now they are kind of fun. Yeah, um, yeah the, well, we have them before and after. Yeah, um, before, very much. Before they were called paladinks. Paladinks, oh, paladinks yes. Paladinks, it, yeah. it, was, uh, it was a rough road, the uh, paladinic road. I played a lot of paladins in the early days because no one else would. I did too. I kind of liked the idea of paladins. I liked what they stood for, but they were they were not easy. They were difficult. They were, they were my style. Very, very difficult to play. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> that goes without saying. Lou playing a paladin. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, that's kind of like um, five minutes in, he suicides. <laughs> I would have been stripped of my powers <laughs> day one. They may, you may not have made it through character creation before they were taken away. <laughs> Um, that was the uh, the wrong actor for the 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 wrong role, role. <laughs> yeah, and the wrong script. It happens. It does. Paladins, <laughs> paladins were hard. Before we get into the meat of the paladins, uh, let's do some plugs. There were some folks that were kind of really really gracious enough to mention us, so I wanted to say thank you to them. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I uh, big thank you to the folks over at three hundred seven RPG who gave us a plug. On the Bite Size Gaming Podcast. So go check those guys out. You can find them at 307RPG.com. And I listen to the Bite Size Gaming Podcast over on Spotify. You can find them there too. So thank you guys. We appreciate the plug. Awesome. Twofer. Yeah. It's always nice when, you know, someone who's well established, kind of like the big kid on the block, lets you play basketball with them. Gives you a stick of gum and says it's all right. Yeah. Even yeah. if we were the last ones picked. That's right. It lifts you up so you can get the ball in the, in the basket. <laughs> we are the little guy. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk Paladins. Uh, Paladins have a, what, like 45, no, even more than that year history with uh, uh, with, with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, about 45, 46. Yeah. Yep. Um, so this information is from all, all from published material. That's where we found this. There's no unearthed arcana in this episode. We we know there's some oaths out there that are being play tested for the paladin in the UA. They're not listed in this episode, though. We may or may not review them in the future, just so that you're aware. Uh, so let's let's talk. Here's some basic information regarding the paladins from first all the way to third edition. They were required to be lawful good alignment, which can be very challenging to play if your entire party is not. Of lawful good alignment. Even if they are of lawful good alignment, 
it could still be a little tricky because the paladin is almost always going to be, well, more lawful good than than the rest of the party. Oh, the rest of them might be lawful, but the, the good part is uh, the tricky part for them. <laughs> if you deviate from your alignment, you get stripped of all your power, and that really sucks. Sure uh, does. That, of course, has changed, but back in the old days, not many people enjoyed playing paladins for just that reason. Paladins could detect evil. They're immune to fear and disease, could cure disease, and had a special mount. And their spellcasting abilities were tied to the cleric's abilities, but weren't nearly as potent. They they weren't. They also had a very strict moral code, so they must be lawful good alignment. Um, they could not willfully commit an evil act. They could not associate with any characters who committed evil acts, which was uh, tough if you were playing with Lou. Had to be truthful at all times and couldn't lie. Had to warn their enemies. And couldn't engage in stealth or subterfuge or use missile weapons or poison. So minor deviations were sometimes permissible, depending, of course, on your dungeon master. But any violation of these codes could result in you being stripped of all your paladin abilities. So you effectively become a crappy fighter yeah, after yeah, that. Yeah, you go from really cool to crap fighter. Yeah, yep. just just suck. You better open up a just open up a tavern or start start a farm at that point in time. One of the other things that was in the early editions was that you, you could not multi-class on a consistent basis. So it means you couldn't split your levels between Paladin or any other class like you can now, uh, which made it really difficult because other people would be multi-classing, dip into another pool of resources, and you're still that one guy doing your one thing and hoping you don't step off the path just ever so slightly. And you know one of the one of the things if if you've ever ever played with a sinister DM and I have um I have played with with a few yeah, I'm and, sitting right here and, and we know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that guy not to mention any names was always looking for that one thing to slip you up right so when um when the succubus shows up she's coming for the paladin oh yeah yeah not the rogue no oh, that's no fun no Lou was always safe. <laughs> So we, we first see the Paladin in the original Greyhawk supplement back in 1975, some 45, 45 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was a subclass of, of the Fighting Man, which eventually became the Fighter. Uh, the Paladin was heavily influenced by the chivalric Christian knights of the Middle Ages, as well as some literary figures, perhaps most notably Holger Carlson from the Poole Anderson novel, Three Hearts and Three Lions, as well, of course, the Arthurian Knights, I vaguely remember the character and the novel, but that was probably some some forty years ago, maybe maybe slightly less that I read it. So don't ask me; I don't remember it. I know for a fact you have trouble remembering things from last week. Last, yeah, yeah. Am I wearing pants? <laughs> yep. Yeah. God, we hope. So. Bingo! <laughs> Nailed it. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition comes around not long after the Paladin and now one of the standard character classes that's available in the player's handbook. In this edition, the Paladin class had a high ability score prerequisites, so you didn't see many Paladins back then. In addition, only human characters could be Paladins. Now what is weird is that we get some Dragon Magazine articles later that discuss Paladins of other races as well as other cultures. So you had a, a little playability there, uh, but it was more of a kind of suggestion. Hey, get a load. You might be able to do this, but it wasn't in the, the standard books. Yeah, it never, never seemed to like make it into canon until much later. Much, you, much later, yeah. You know, and, it, and it makes a lot of sense. You know, I always wondered, well, 
why wouldn't why wouldn't an elf have you know have the ability to be a paladin or even a dwarf or i think half elf was the first one that could delve into that pool i think you're right yeah half elf was the first one i can get into it so the paladin was heavily influenced by western european chivalric code of knights and even the imagery in the player's handbook was reflective of that i always go back to that full page black and white spread of a paladin in hell he's standing on this hill and there's all these demons kind of besetting him and the um robin cook did a an absolutely gorgeous piece back in 1990-91 painting that was used in one of the books later on and it was a female paladin on the stairs heading for the temple with someone in the temple door ready to slam it shut waving her on and you can see these claws and stuff at her heels and you know it, it was a female paladin which you know a lot of people didn't play back then either uh, but it was it was an absolute beautiful peter board but it was just that that arthurian look to it the high shoulders and the, the you know the plate armor and so yeah all the imagery back then was very stereotypical knight like yeah western western european uh male type actually and, and this is at the dva but this is a whole episode unto itself but i don't really <laughs> think we saw a lot of female characters in D artwork until until much much later when larry elmore the other artist escapes me began to contribute their work to the D&D books. Mm-hmm. I was always a big Larry Elmore fan. In 1985, Unearth Arcana hits the bookstores, and the Paladin goes from a fighter subclass to a cavalier subclass. Uh, trading back and forth, or the beginning of trading back and forth in the subclass world right now. So It's a big custody battle. Yes. Who gets yes. the Paladin? Who gets the Paladin? Fighter or cavalier? Uh, when Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition came around, the Paladin goes back to being a subclass of the fighter. Later, it was reintroduced as a kit in the Complete Fighter's Handbook in 1989, and in 1984, the Paladins become official and get their own handbook called the Complete Paladin's Handbook. Now, in 3rd edition, those specific ability score requirements are no longer present. They're, they're not a prime requisite, but there's a suggestion that strength, constitution, charisma, and wisdom should be high. It's nice that those prereqs dropped because it was very difficult. Another thing that held it back, why you didn't see a lot, you had four stats you needed a high. With a charisma 17, all the others being, I believe, a 15. Yeah. Um, you you don't often get to roll those kind of high stats. And when you do, you yeah. usually pick the wizard because that's the only way you can make your wizard survive. Yeah, and back in the early days, uh, you were rolling dice. They yeah. didn't have all these, these other options for you to build a character. Right. Yep. So yep. you think of how many how many times you roll up characters and I mean, it's foolish, but just to get a paladin, I remember like, like rolling up probably like 20 or 30 characters before I hit that magic, yeah. you know, uh, stack group. And there we go. You were creating farmers at the time. I was lots of, <laughs> lots of very sturdy farmers. Um, so look out because here comes fourth edition. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fourth edition is one of those, one of those things that causes rifts in our community. Yep. yep. Um, formerly, paladins were just righteous warriors. They weren't tied to any specific deity, but now 4th edition comes along, and paladins are tied to a chosen deity, which I think is a really good idea. I always liked it. Yeah, it made a lot of sense. Their powers, such as spells and lay on hands, come directly from the divine power of whoever their chosen deity is. Now, paladins can have an alignment differing from lawful good, which was the alignment that they were hemmed into in previous editions. This alignment, of course, was corresponding to their deity of choices alignment. Cool. In fourth edition, being a paladin was permanent. 
Previous editions, if there was a slip-up or a deviation from lawful good, the paladin would lose all their powers that made him a paladin and end up just a fighter. Now in a fourth edition, that is no longer a concern. What makes this a really good thing is that it makes the paladin a lot easier to play in-game with a variety of other characters because it's not constantly having to police the other characters. If you ever tried playing a paladin in any previous editions, it was very difficult to do so because of this very reason. It was hard. It was difficult. Every paladin lost their powers and they had to go on some kind of quest to get them back or be once again back to the crappy fighter thing with, you know, maybe your magic sword would still work if you had one. But now it's not an issue. Well, and it also forces um, the other players to go on that atonement quest with the paladin, even if they didn't want to. Yep. And if there was any alignment problems with those characters, he may still lose out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was complicated. And it sadly, it kind of stripped the fun out of playing a paladin (laughs) in a diverse group, right? Because you want want a rogue with you. Well, everyone's having fun. You have to work. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was like yeah. It was like punching a clock. You know, it was like your job, and uh, you were kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. And that's no fun. That's no fun for the other players. It's no fun for you, and your character wasn't really liked because you were you know you're that stick in the mud. Right. Okay. The smite evil power is now replaced with simply smite. That makes things a little bit easier there. We also see different build options. Uh, one based on strength. One based on charisma. Fifth edition rolls along, and here we are back in the present. The paladins are not entirely different from their fourth edition counterparts, but now we see different paths that a paladin can commit themselves to, and these, of course, are the oaths. And that's where fifth edition comes along. I really, really think we start to see paladins being fun to play, finally. Right. After almost a half a century, (laughs) finally paladins are fun to play. All of 40 years. Well, when age comes wisdom. It, it certainly does. And and now they could be of any alignment. It's it's mentioned that evil paladins are rare, but it's not unheard of. So that opens mm-hmm. up a lot of really fun uh role play and story opportunities. Yes. yes. A lot the the anti paladin, which we'll talk about later, but now you can really you really get into it. All right, so I'm gonna throw a little history at you. Just a touch. All right. In medieval Europe the legends are Paladins were 12 brave knights who were loyal followers of Charlemagne, the king of the Franks and founder of the Holy Roman Empire. The name Paladin, from a word meaning the person attached to a court, implies that the knights may have been residing in the royal palace. The Paladins appear primarily in a series of legends surrounding Charlemagne, his adventures, and the history of the Frankish kingdom. Many were said to play important roles in the Crusades and battles against the Muslims. Among the most famous works in which some of the Paladins appear are the Chanson de Roland. I know I pronounced that wrong, so I I apologize. It's Song of Roland, a French poem written in the circa thousand. The number of Paladins also appear in Italian legends, uh, though under slightly different names. You can say they are a permanent resident of the medieval times, and this relates to the Middle Ages in Europe from a period of about 500 to 1500 A.D., in ancient history, paladins were renowned not just for as elite warriors, but as champions of the weak and vulnerable, epitomizing all that was good. They were devoted to kindness, but beyond measures, they were devoted in their effectiveness at ridding the world of evil and crusading in the name of good, justice, and order. All the while, they adhered to their strict code of honor. It was said that in combat, a paladin with a cause was almost impossible to defeat. Such was their fearsome reputation. And it said that they had divine powers. However, it's not necessary to be a knight to be regarded as a paladin. 
Indeed, over the centuries, the term paladin has found its way into dictionaries as a noun used to describe generally the determined advocate and defender of a particular cause. Such is the reputation of paladins through history that Dungeons & Dragons and various other role-playing games have adopted paladins amongst their cast. Needless to say, in every game they're regarded as amongst the most agile and effective of all warriors. As the Paladin Promise illustrates, we could not have conceived a more fitting name for our business. It synonymizes what we do and how we do it. We strive to honor the Paladins who have come before us and trusted with a cause we are indeed almost impossible to defeat. So, a little real-world history on Paladins. And that's this week's episode of Nova on PBS. <laughs> well, Bill is older, so he would have all those notes. I, I happen to like Nova. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> For all you youngins out there, go look it up. That's right. Um, Little-known fact is that uh, Bill actually graduated with Charlemagne. He he was actually uh, in, in the yearbook was uh, <laughs> Luke's laughing in the yearbook he was actually listed as the class clown so the class. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's Charlemagne yep yep, yep. him and Roland yep oh look I cut off another head well with that I think I think we should take a little break right here for a moment <laughs> I need to catch my breath and we're back we just got done changing the tennis balls on the bottom of uh, Bill's walker so uh, it's they're orange. Yeah, it's not going to squeak anymore. I, I can see them so much easier. So let's talk about uh, paladins in, in in pop culture, right? I'm, I'm sure I'm sure paladins have popped up in books, TVs, movies, maybe. Um, all over the place. Um, a couple of my favorite, I don't know, references. Um, have guns, will travel. Richard Boone. Westerns. Your lead character, a lot of westerns, are your paladins. Another one that stands out, um, Clayton Moore, the Lone Ranger. One of my favorites, yeah. yeah there, there is a paladin. I mean, he's even even white. Yep. And and shame on them for making that god-awful movie and Johnny Depp as oh. Tonto. You couldn't find a Native American to play Tonto and do that role justice. You had to find Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp, who was who was basically Captain Jack Sparrow with a crow on his head. <laughs> I think they just used him for his name to try to draw people in. Well, he's got a great agent. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Because he should not have been in that role. Yeah. Chief J. Silverheels is rolling over in his grave, I'm sure, after all that. But uh, don't get me started on that. (laughs) But, yes, the Lone Ranger, probably uh, one of the best examples. No, I may be dating myself. I'm going back quite a ways. But when I think of Paladins, I think of Westerns. And, you know, your lead character is most oftenly that paladin role. You know, they're trying to do the the good thing and no I'm not going to drink. And no I'm not going to go upstairs to the, you know, to the above the the bar where the ladies are entertaining and I'm going to make sure I take care of the, you know, the the young kid that was slapped by the wayward sheriff and that's what I got. Yeah, those clearly weren't Clint Eastwood westerns. <laughs> <laughs> uh Darth Vader Ooh, yeah, I, good choice. I see Darth Vader as the Oathbreaker Paladin. Um, he started off perhaps lawful good, lawful neutral, neutral good maybe, but began sliding over to the dark side, so to speak, ending up as a lawful evil Paladin. I guess he could probably be an Oath of Conquest or perhaps even an Oath of Retribution Paladin as well. 
Yeah. Um, I think Oathbreaker fits better, but yeah, I could see him as those. Yeah, and you can you could kind of understand how he kind of turned. You know, he, he sees the uh, Jedi Order as those uh, those folks that kind of kept him from from his loved ones, his mother, Padme, and all that. I, I like that one. I, I didn't care for the movies, but um, <laughs> it's it stuck out enough that you remembered it. It it it, it did it did because because of the first three, the the good Star Wars movies. Um, Probably, I think one of the best examples of a lawful good paladin is Captain America. He's even got like his his special weapon, his shield, and he's not like obnoxious. No, oh, he's just that goody two shoes. Yeah, he doesn't even swear. Does not even swear, and he will straighten you out if you're cussing on a mission. If you're an Avenger, didn't he do that in one of the? Yes, episodes? he did. Yeah. Yes, he Tony did. Stark, well, that foul mouth, wealthy boy. He, well, well, that takes me to I was going to say Iron Man is my my paladin. Iron Man, definitely not a lawful good no, paladin. No, what not about, a lawful what good. What about the Dark Knight? Yeah, uh, and we're going to, there, there is actually uh, an, an oath where those paladins are nicknamed uh, Dark Knights. And uh, yeah, you know, I can I can see Batman uh, very easily being a, a a paladin. Like an oath of vengeance, I think, is, is, yep. is what he yeah, would be. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, for all you Dresden Files fans out there, especially our good friend Corrick. Yes. Yep. yes. Um, Michael Carpenter from the Dresden Files. He's a Knight of the Cross and, and very much so a kind of like the Christian ideal of a paladin from mm-hmm. like the old days yeah, yeah. Of, of, of D&D. Um, and he, uh, he kind of sounds to me like he could be an oath of devotion. Uh, paladin. He's kind of like that that voice of morality for Harry Dresden. And... Uh, Kind of like the the voice of of, of Christianity. I got a, I got another one to throw into the oath of vengeance column. All right, Van Helsing, Van Helsing. Yeah, yeah, I get out, yeah. Out Van of literature. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, even in some I mean, of those I mean, movies, he's, he, he's actually going out killing monsters. He's carrying the cross. He's yep. he's invoking the name of you know of the church. And yeah, um, aside from his attire, which is usually ratty as hell. Um, yeah, he's. I can see him as a as a paladin. Most definitely. Yeah, that's a good one. I I like that. So when we play and and we make characters, we kind of make characters just based on really what our idea of a character is. Right. But what do you what do you think are are the best races? Let's let's talk the best races for paladins, Bill. All right. Yeah, you can find paladins on page eighty two of the player's handbook. The player's handbook identifies strength as being your highest score, followed by charisma. Strength, of course, is what you're going to use in melee combat, and charisma is your spellcasting ability. Wisdom would be a close third, uh, the ability to stat out higher because your saving throws are tied to that ability. Let's look at some races that are very attractive options for building your paladin. Today we're looking at variant humans, dragonborn, half-elves, Asimar, and tritons. If you're building a strength-based paladin, you go with the dexterity-based paladin as well if you want. But if strength is the way you're going, the dragonborn are a great choice. Uh, you're going to get that stat bump on strength and charisma, which is fantastic for melee. And the charisma bump is going to help you with your spellcasting. In addition, you get resistance to one element of choice and an innate breath weapon. Not that a breath weapon makes you a particularly effective paladin, but it's pretty cool and adds flavor over character itself. The Dragonborn can be found on page 32 of the Player's Handbook. They really are a good choice for a strength-based paladin. Yeah, they are. 
Yeah. yeah. They're, they're beefy just, you know, just in their backgrounds and everything. So you get the, you get your bonuses and if you have a decent role or how you select your points, depending on how you build your character, you could end up with a, a, a pretty good tank out yeah. in the front. Very effective. Uh, variant humans work well for paladins as well, and pretty much every other class for that matter. It's about time that 5th edition has made humans a more attractive option for player races. With variant humans, you get an ability score increase for any two abilities of your choice. You get an extra skill of your choice, and you get to select a feat, which can really bump up your paladin game, especially at first level. Humans work pretty well without the variant human option. You get that ability score bump in each of your abilities but no feet variant humans they just seem to work better humans can be found on page 29 of the player's handbook half elves are a pretty good choice as well both the half elves and variant humans can support either a dexterity or strength build so they're have very high they're very highly customizable with the half elf you get a charisma score increase and you get to choose another stat bump so you can go to strength wisdom deck you can put that in dexterity as well Another feature that is nice is you get proficiency in two skills of your choice, which come in handy later. Half-Elves can be found on page 38 of the Player's Handbook. Yeah, Half-Elves got some pretty good attention in 5th edition, they I did. think. They did. They finally kind of made them up, you know, built them up so, because they seem to be like the not-quite-so-good not cousin of humans. Yeah, they were like the red-headed stepchild, yeah, you know. Yeah, very they, much. They, they weren't, as, weren't as cool as elves uh, or weren't as, you know, uh, hardy as humans. Now they got some really good attention, so they're they're, they're very attractive for, mm-hmm. for a player race. Asimar are a pretty good choice as well, statistically. And thematically, uh, they're celestial beings born to serve as champions of the gods, and nothing really cries out paladin more than that. They get a charisma stat bump of two, which is going to help with uh, the spell casting resistance to necrotic and radiant damage, which is going to come in handy. If you're fighting undead healing hands, which complements your lay on hands ability nicely. And they know the light cantrip, which just works very nicely thematically for your Asimar paladin. I think the Asimar sub races that work best for paladin are the protector, which gives you a bonus to your wisdom score, which is going to help with your saving throws and The Fallen, which gives you a bonus to your strength. You can find Asimar on page 104 of Volo's Guide to Monsters. I would be using that light spell all the time to backlight myself. Yeah, thematically it just just looks great. You know, you can you can see that Asimar paladin walking into, you know, uh, the court of some noble or king, and he's just, he's aglow and radiant, radiant light. Yeah, yeah that would be awesome. All right, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Tritons. Another great choice for paladin character, especially if you're playing an aquatic campaign. But it's not necessary that you do so in order to play a Triton Paladin. They're amphibious, which means they can breathe on land or in water. So while they may not be as comfortable out of water as they are in, you can certainly play them in your terrestrial campaign. Just come up with a really good backstory. Triton get the ability score increase to their strength and charisma scores, which is great for a paladin as usual. They tend towards lawful good alignments, which is not necessary to play a paladin anymore, but it does speak to the class quite a bit. You can find Tritons on page 115 of the Volo's Guide to Monsters. Tritons, huh? Tritons. That's interesting. You know me. I'm, I'm, I Iron Man my characters all the time. I will pull just random roll on a chart somewhere and go, all right, I'm going to use that. I think a, a Triton paladin would be so... Uh, alien to the terrestrial world that it would be really really fun to play because they're 
their lawful good, you know, from a cultural standpoint, would be maybe different from another culture's, you know, version of lawful good. Would also make it interesting too, because what they think is a norm for lawful good for them may not necessarily be the same norm for a lawful good of the terrestrial races. Right, right. And that, and I think that, that makes for very interesting gameplay. I mean, granted, like, oh, no, it's lawful good to kill your pal, you know, and release their souls is, you know, the one that everyone's going to, you know, go to. It gives you a little wiggle room with the lawful good alignment through interpretation. Yeah. A little wiggle room. You don't want to get too carried away. So, Scott, let's talk about some oaths. Yeah, let's let's do that. My my favorite part of the fifth edition paladin by far is the oaths. The oaths make it a, a that's what makes it the meaty the meaty fighter. They have they have kind of officially become badass. Yes, they have with the that oaths. Is, that is cool. The oath of devotion. Let's talk about that. The oath of devotion can be found on page eighty five of the player's handbook. These are the paladins who appeal to the loftiest ideals of justice, virtue, and honor. Those who take this oath are lawful good, following the tenets of honesty, courage, compassion, honor, and duty. They're nicknamed cavaliers, white knights, or holy warriors. These are the advanced Dungeons and Dragons. The quintessential paladin. Yeah, the, the originals. Oath of the Ancients. That's on page 86 of the Player's Handbook. The Oath of the Ancients is as old as the elves themselves. They are the paladins that are referred to as the Green Knights, Horn Knights, or Fey Knights. They swear the souls to cast their lot with the side of light in the cosmic struggle against darkness because they love the beautiful and life-giving things of the world and not necessarily because they believe in the principles of honor, courage, and justice. They follow the tenets of the kindling of light, sheltering of the light, preserving their own light, and being of light. I think these would be really fun to play and kind of like a uh, fantastic forest like campaign where they're teaming up with rangers and druids and you know maybe some sort of like shapeshifter or something. I just think it'd be like huge huge fun. In the new Netflix series The Cursed, they actually have one, The Green Knight, who's in the story right now. Yeah, I'm actually following that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's pretty good. I started binge watching it a couple of days ago going, wow, I, I went, how did I not see this? <laughs> it, it's a whole different take on the whole the Arthurian Knights. Arthurian, yeah. But the Green Knight out. is in there, and um, it will surprise you. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. I just, I love the idea. Let's talk about the Oath of Vengeance. You can find the Oath of Vengeance on page 87 of the Player's Handbook. This oath is a solemn commitment to punishing those who have committed grievous sins. Their tenets are simple. Fight the greater evil, no mercy for the wicked, by any means necessary, and restitution. These are the ones that are nicknamed Avengers or Dark Knights. This is this is where uh, this is where Batman would fall into it. <laughs> That's um, what I think. Uh, well, some of the darker versions yes. of Batman. Yeah, and and I not not the not the Saturday morning cartoon version. I just I think you could you could run such an awesome like John Wick kind of game made up of all Oath of Vengeance paladins just, just <laughs> going out to, like, like kick some ass and, and, and take some names, and it would be huge, huge fun. I could see that. You know, like, let's take, they're down there taking the organizations down. Yeah, like, even a city-based campaign with these kind of, these kind of uh, paladins. It'd be like uh, the Magnificent Seven and John Wick had a baby. <laughs> and it would just... It it sounds like it would be incredible fun. Just don't call it the Magnificent Wick. Right. I don't know. that. It's got a ring to it, though. 
I don't think it's for this channel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to the Oathbreaker. Uh, this is one. I, I, li- I like this one. It's on page 97 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. This is a, technically a villainous class option intended to be used as a non-player character, but why can't you use it as a player character? This has all the makings for a PC and is ready to be played. The Oathbreaker is a paladin that has broken their sacred oath to pursue some darker ambition or serving evil power. Whatever light that burned in the soul of this paladin has now been extinguished. They are, in effect, the 5th edition version of the Anti-Paladin, but more on that later. The Oathbreaker Paladin must be 3rd level to take on this new oath, and once they do, all the abilities of the old oath are replaced with the new one. There are no tenants listed with this oath, as with other players, because that's, they're supposed to be intended as a, an NPC. But perhaps it's because they're, they simply have gone dark, <laughs> and for back, lack of a better term. That's their tenant. They've gone dark. But I, I would love to play this character. Yeah. I would love awesome, to play this character. Awesome villain. Like a lich's bodyguard or something. Yeah. 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 That would be, uh, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, there's an option for this atonement. Uh, with this oath, which is pretty cool. Your paladin can return back to the light side, a la Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi. So you, you have a chance of digging yourself out of the hole if uh, you find it doesn't work for you in the game or your game master is going, all right, stop killing everybody. Makes for good makes for a good story. And it makes a good story. So you know you can let the let the rest of the characters drag you back to the side of light. I really dig the Oathbreaker too. The Oathbreaker is a cool class. Oath of Conquest, uh, you, you can find this on page 37 of Xanathar's Guide to Everything. These are the paladins that seek glory in battle and subjugation of their enemies. Since to these paladins it isn't enough just to establish order, they must also vigorously, vigorously, mind you, vigorously. crush the forces of chaos and evil. They toe the line between hero and villain in their never-ending quest to squash evil. Their tenets are douse the flames of hope, Rule with an iron fist and strength above all. Douse the flames of hope. I just love the sound of that. Yeah. This yeah. is this is Conan. Yeah. This I, is Conan. Yeah. <laughs> Crush the enemy, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of the women's. <laughs> you know he practices that in the mirror. He did that way too well. Every, Every morning. <laughs> I knew it. Shirtless. <laughs> That was a picture we did not need painted. You all can thank us for this being a radio broadcast. As opposed to a YouTube video. There'd be is. a lot of black bars on that YouTube video. <laughs> the whole screen would be blacked out. <laughs> Just from the neck up. Yep. Wow. Okay. And, and that's why we have an explicit warning, folks. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the Oath of Redemption. This is page 38 of Xanathar's Guide to Everything. These paladins believe that violence is only a last resort and that any person can be redeemed. The path of benevolence and justice is one that anyone can walk. When they face evil, they do so in the hope of turning that evil to light, slaying their enemies only when doing so to save their others' lives. These paladins are not fools, though. They know that such wicked enemies, such as devils and demons, cannot be turned to the light, and such they receive the full wrath of the paladins' prowess. Their tenets are peace, innocence, Patience and wisdom. This is kind of like the social work branch of Paladin Order. 
from the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's go in and talk first. Let's see yeah, let's just, let's see what the problem is. You look angry. Let's sit down yeah, and discuss. Yeah, maybe we this. can get you into some counseling, a- anger management. Would you like a warm beverage? Yeah, some support systems. You know, it doesn't have to be like this. Just talk about your feelings. Talk about yeah. your feelings. I'm here for you. Yeah. I'm listening. Use the when you I feel and and we'll we'll start to make some progress. There you go. I feel better already. We just went through six of the 12 steps right there. Yeah. Quick. (laughs) Oath of the Crown, page 32 of the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. This oath is identified as for those individuals that are playing in the Forgotten Realms setting, but you're the DM, so you can certainly add this oath into your particular campaign. It's your campaign, right? Absolutely. We did it. We, we, We add all kinds of stuff in. That's right. Paladins who follow this path are sworn to the ideals of civilization, serving society, and the just laws that hold the society together. Their tenets are usually set by the sovereign they serve, but generally include law, loyalty, courage, and responsibility. They're like the cops. They're the cops. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They're the constabulary. So these these oaths, I think, are really what takes the paladin in 5th edition to that that next level of awesomeness. You know, we kind of laid down the foundation in 4th edition and fifth it seems like they 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 tweaked it a lot they definitely gave a lot of attention to the class and and i'm glad they did because before it was a struggle to play them and then it was confusing because you didn't know like they were being passed from they're like the foster kids they're being passed from household to household you never know where they're going to end up next and then finally they they found a you know a home in fourth but uh, still were a little wonky i want to play a paladin yeah because these are these are fun to play now because you have so much versatility out of them now where you didn't have that before. And you, yeah, you don't always have to be that, you know, that, that, that white hat, you know, you could kind of, kind of be a little edgy. Oh yeah. Uh, which, which is, which is cool. And there's a lot more uh, playability, a lot more um, uh, opportunities for individuality. I kind of feel like paladins in previous editions were almost like cookie cutters of one another. Yeah, well, you had such strict prerequisites and alignment. and Yeah, they they were forced into a cookie-cutter position. Yeah, like if your paladin died, you could just change the name on the character sheet and... Put a new crest on his breastplate and boom. And there you go. Brand new brand new guy. Yep. Same bad haircut. You didn't even have to go with the twin brand brother bit. It's just, you know, from the same order. Yep. Here he is. Same boring-ass paladin. I'm not Ted. I'm John. <laughs> Let's get into some backgrounds. There's, there's got to be some good backgrounds you could pick for your paladin. Well, the paladin quick build in the player's handbook suggests that you pick the noble background, which certainly is an acceptable background and one that strongly consider for your paladin. But it's not the only one that you can add depth with to your paladin. With the noble background, you get history and persuasion as your skills and a set of nice clothes and a signet ring, which rounds out the noble bearing of the, the paladin quite nicely. You also get one language of your choice. So, but that's, that's a little, I think that's always been a little pedestrian. So. Yeah. It's, it's kind of too easy. It, it's a cop out. Yeah. What else we got? How about the acolyte? I think that works well for a paladin. Having spent your life in the service of the temple to a specific God or pantheon of gods really makes for a solid background for your paladin. In addition, you get two extra languages of your choice and you get insight and religion as additional skills 
these are skills that are normally an option for the paladin class anyway. So make sure you pick your background before you select your skills. So you're not doing a lot of erasing. There you go. Another fun one is a folk hero. It's a nice option for your background as well. Your paladin character can have humble beginnings, made their name through performing heroic deeds for the local levels. Uh, animal handling skill will come in handy when you're astride your horse. The survival skill will add flavor to your character for those campaigns where you're overland travel. And it can't hurt to be able to snare a rabbit and build a shelter because you're not always going to have a retinue with you making your meals and setting up your tent or your pavilion for you. So you got to go out there and rough and tough it, especially with the folk hero. I, I kind of like this one the best out of all those other options. I, I think this one is, is the neatest. It is. It is. Um, and it's it's more believable, and it's it's a good storyline, too, that's been used a number of times. Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah, in A New Hope. He was kind of like, by the end of the movie, he was kind of like a, uh, a, a folk hero. Started from humble beginnings. Um, did some pretty impressive things. Learned how to be a, a, a knight from an, an old, old knight. An, an old dude. Yep. Um, got himself a medal. Mm-hmm. Still upset they screwed Chewbacca. Yeah, that wasn't right. Yeah, that's yeah. messed up. Yeah, just, I, he got re, like relegated to the pet area. Yeah, it's like oh, and they rubbed his belly. Yeah, you know, and sent him on his way. So we can add a, a a little bit more flavor to this this paladin stew. Yeah, let's let's add some salt and pepper. Let's go with skills and feats, or that, or or that. Um, paladins are able to pick. Two skills from athletic, insight, intimidation, medicine, persuasion, and religion. You also get some skills from whichever background you choose. So pick your background first, then go back and repick those so you're not double dipping. These are the general picks uh, of feats for the paladin character. These are not taken into consideration what fighting style your paladin has or what race they happen to be. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. A lot more. I'm looking forward but, to that part. But there's a host of feats that would be great for paladins. If you decide to go with the variant human build, you get this right from the get-go, and that helps a lot. A lot, a lot. So let's talk about alert. That's a good one. Grants you a plus five bonus to initiative, which is great if your dump stat happens to be dexterity, as it often is with, with paladins. If yeah. you know, you're getting, yeah. you know, wearing the heavy armor, you don't need to be dexterous. And, you know, even if you did have a high dexterity, it's not going to come into play with that kind of armor anyway. This is true. Um, so as long as you're conscious, you can't be surprised. And other creatures don't gain advantage on attack rolls as a result of being hidden from you. That is pretty good. And let's see, you're, you're, you're clunking around and you're announcing yourself. Stealth is not somewhere yeah. you're going to be going. Out so, of the question. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like your toddler sitting on the kitchen floor banging the wooden Kool-Aid spoon up against the pan. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. And then whips the colander at you. Let's try athlete uh, as a natural for a paladin. Uh, you get a stat bump to strength or dexterity. Uh, when you're prone, it takes five feet of movement to get up, not ten. Climbing doesn't cost you any extra movement. And you can make a running long jump or running high jump after moving only five feet uh, rather than ten. And the movement of most PCs to do, execute this same maneuver. Nice. Th that could be handy. Um, not that they get knocked down a lot, but you're in armor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it helps to be able to get up quick if you get knocked down. Um, so we can't imagine the paladin charging into battle. That's the case. Why not take the charger feet? When you use your action to dash, you can use a bonus action to make one melee weapon attack or to shove a creature. 
If you move at least 10 feet in a straight line immediately before taking this bonus action, you either gain a plus 5 bonus to the attack's damage roll if you choose to make a melee attack and hit, or push the target up to 10 feet away from you if you choose to shove instead. A lot like the um, the, the shield feet. Very similar. Very similar. But you get the attack. Yes. And I, I think you can... St- Stack them, or at least it doesn't say you can't. It doesn't say you can't, and I think the two, we kind of looked at this uh, before when we were talking off air here, and it looks like you can, and the two put together could be really formidable. Yeah. Really formidable. Especially if you have like a, um, well, we're not we're not talking other classes, so I'll save that one for later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, uh, inspiring leader is another clear choice for your paladin. This is a charisma-based, so it's right up the Paladin's Alley. You can spend 10 minutes inspiring your companions, uh, shoring up the resolve to fight. When you do so, six friendly creatures, which can include yourself, within 30 feet of you, you can see or hear, or who can understand you. Each creature can gain temporary hit points equal to your level plus your charisma modifier. That's a nice one. That's a nice one. That's a nice one. And uh, who better to be your party leader than, than your Paladin? Up there on his horse, weapon raised above his head. Being inspiring. Yep. Charismatic. Handsome. All the things none of us are. Yes. Sadly, there are no paladins at this table. Well, Lewis, he's charismatic. Don't forget it. (laughs) (laughs) How can I? Mounted combatant is another great choice and just really works with the class. There's that iconic image of the knight astride their steed. You are a dangerous foe to face while mounted. When mounted and not incapacitated, you gain the following benefits. You have advantage on melee attack rolls against any unmounted creature that is smaller than your mount. You can force an attack targeted at your mount to you instead. And if your mount is subjected to an effect that allows it to make dexterity saving throw to take only half damage, it instead takes no damage if it succeeds in the saving throw and only half damage if it fails. Not bad. Th- that's some... That is. That's, that's some, great horsemanship. That's some William Shatner-level horse handling. It was only a matter of time before he went there. Yeah. Let's not... I'm cutting that part out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the editor's rough. <laughs> no Star Trek talk on this channel. We're going to talk about this off air. And, and and we're going to move on to what we've mentioned earlier, the Shield Master. This is the last of our choices for Paladin. This is a great option for a sword and board Paladin. You can use your shields not just for protection, but also for offense. If you take the attack action on your turn, you can use a bonus action and try to shove a creature within five feet of you with your shield. If you are... If you are not incapacitated, you can add your shield's armor class bonus to any dexterity saving throw you make against a spell or other harmful effects that target you. If you are subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw to take only half damage, you can use your reaction to take no damage if you succeed in the saving throw, interposing your shield between yourself and the source of the effect. So this is, once again, one of those iconic images of, like, the breath weapon blasting over the paladin as he takes a knee and and tucks in behind his shield as it wafts around him. Yeah, Tony Stark blasting Captain America and watching it wash over that that shield. That's such an iconic image. (laughs) 
<laughs> he had to go back to him, didn't back, he? Back to that back to my boy Captain America. You know, the the paladin. He is. You can't argue it. Can't argue it. Still like Tony Stark, but all right. So right around here we're gonna wrap things up for the this particular episode. Uh we have a part two coming up. Listen in and we'll get back to you. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo, or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you, and have a good day.